Hey, good evening. It's Friday, July 23rd, 2021. This is Fed Up in My 50s. This is Michelle Thompson, your host for this little podcast and little slice of heaven. You can certainly comment on my social media where you are probably listening to this podcast, or you can email me at spunky, S-P-U-N-K-Y 0811 at gmail.com. Spunky 0811 at gmail.com. Looking for your views, your ideas, your feedback. Please no hate. This is not intended to spark any hate. It's not intended to be controversial. This is just intended to put some information out on the airwaves that maybe you don't hear somewhere else. Thought-provoking ideas. Definitely want to take your topics. If you want to do something like that, let me know. Those of you that have my phone number, of course, you're certainly welcome to text or call with your ideas. But without further ado, we're going to get on to this. <laughs> Sorry, I just got a new soundboard and I had to play with it. Okay, I'm sorry. Here we go. Tonight I want to talk about the hydroxychloroquine controversy. So, I've done some research since the whole pandemic started on hydroxychloroquine and the effectiveness and efficacy. And do we really need a vaccine? We have antivirals uh, and antiparasitics, and uh, there was one in here in the study that's also an anti-diarrheal, which would lead me to believe that it would be um, also, uh, it's an anti-diarrheal, so I would imagine to think it would be an antiviral or parasitic medication as well. But we're going to look up, look that up in just a moment, and then I will let you know. So I started out with looking at the National Library of Medicine. National Library of Medicine defines hydroxychloroquine as an immunosuppressive and anti-autophagy. That's a hard word to say. I'm not sure if I said it right, which is consumption of the body's own tissue as a metabolic process such as in starvation and certain diseases. That might be a moot point as far as this goes. So I further was reading on the National Institute of Health website. Now this was two days ago. Pretty sure it's probably still there. On the National Institutes of Health website, hydroxychloroquine is listed as an anti-coronaviral agent right there. It's, it's probably still there. If you want to go look, it's probably still there. So I found that interesting because hydroxychloroquine, now they have the studies to back it up. And now they're saying, yes, it does save lives. So how soon before we might be able to use it? We don't know. Hydroxychloroquine became a political pawn for the Democrats. Because in March 2020, when all this was just starting, Trump put the travel ban in February. Everybody called him racist and all that other kind of thing. How dare you put a travel ban out there? You're, you're excluding people, blah, blah, blah. So in one of his news conferences, he got up and mentioned that hydroxychloroquine was an effective treatment for, for COVID-19. And it was almost immediately just banned right there. 
The FDA did not revoke its emergency use authorization until June 15th of 2020. Now, hydroxychloroquine has been an FDA-approved medication used for malaria, lupus, and rheumatoid arthritis, and maybe some other things, but those are the main ones that I've come up with in my research. So you've got a drug that's been approved since 1955. It only has severe side effects if you use a lot of it. Obviously, that's probably the same with any other drug. But it's quite effective in the treatment of COVID-19. Last year, now last year, when this was a little bit newer, I read a study by a physician who had 800 patients being treated for lupus and or rheumatoid arthritis. Those patients were taking hydroxychloroquine. Out of the 800, one person, as of then, contracted COVID-19. That particular person in the group was not regularly taking the hydroxychloroquine as prescribed. So I will look up the source on that. I forgot the doctor's name. It kind of just came up. It's not even on my notes, but I thought I'd throw it out there because it was quite interesting because the hydroxychloroquine, oh my God, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's listed right on the National Institutes of Health's website as an anti-coronaviral agent. It's right there. However, doctors who dared come out in defense of hydroxychloroquine, this all began, they were threatened with losing their jobs, losing their livelihoods, and losing their medical licenses because they wanted to prescribe an FDA-approved medication. Medication is still FDA-approved. Hydroxychloroquine is still FDA-approved. They just conveniently revoked the emergency use authorization and that's a little later in my notes. We'll get into that. But how dare them threaten doctors with revoking their licenses for wanting to prescribe an FDA-approved medication? But right now, we're looking at a non-FDA-approved so-called vaccine that they're trying to push down our throats. So these are just my ideas. This is going to be regarding hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, and another medication called nitazoxanide, which I'd never heard of before, but that one is also an antiparasitic. So hydroxychloroquine is an antiparasitic, as is ivermectin, and as is nitazoxanide. That one's kind of hard to say. These are all FDA-approved medications, and now there's a study that came out that we're going to get into right now about hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and, and nitazoxanide. Just an interesting, difficult to say word. So in COVID, the biggest risk factors are people above 60. Now they're saying 85, so I'm not exactly sure where the line is. Other comorbidities include uncontrolled diabetes, hypertension, obesity, androgenetic alopecia, which is thinning of the hair, caused by I think excessive estrogen, you can fact check me on that one. Abuse of anabolic steroids in males and hyperandrogenism in women. That one is excess testosterone or I think it's pretty rare. So we can talk about it at a later date or let me know if you want more information on that. I'll get it for you. No problem. 
So this study done in Brazil was done or completed December 28th of 2020, published June 30th of 2021. The study included 585 people. All 585 people took azithromycin, which obviously is a antibiotic. So all 585 people took azithromycin. Of the 585 people, 357 people took the nitazoxanide, which is an antiparasitic combined with the azithromycin, and I believe they had zinc in there too. 159 people took the hydroxychloroquine with the azithromycin and the zinc and I, vitamin C and vitamin D3. 110 people took ivermectin with the azithromycin, zinc, vitamin C, vitamin D. No one treated required mechanical ventilation. Not one required mechanical ventilation. However, 11.5% of the placebo group did require mechanical ventilation. So as a result of this study, what they came up with was for every 1,000 people infected, any of these treatments, hydroxychloroquine, nitazoxidide, nitazoxidine, or ivermectin, for every 1,000 people infected, any of these treatments could prevent between 50 and 66 patients requiring mechanical ventilation. Out of every 1,000 people, it could prevent between 50 and 66 patients requiring mechanical ventilation. Out of 1,000, I'm sure it doesn't sound like much, but given the death toll and everything else, to me that seems like a pretty good, pretty good deal. Also, oh, pardon me, no treated patients died. 1.4% of untreated died. I'm not exactly sure how you get 1.4% out of people's lives, but that's the statistic they put out there. Persisting physical manifestations after COVID was present in 1.1% of the treated patients, but persisting physical manifestations after COVID was present in 30.6% of untreated or placebo patients. 1.1% versus 30.6% for ongoing symptoms of COVID. I think they call you long haulers when you have the persistent symptoms. That's a term I've heard. 1.1% versus 30.6%, that sounds pretty good to me. And then for every 1,000 infected subjects between 295, now these are better numbers, for every 1,000 infected subjects between 295 and 541, now that's more than half, patients could be prevented from post-COVID physical manifestations with the early pharmacological intervention. Between 295 and 541 patients out of 1,000 they could have been saved from post-COVID physical manifestations with any of these antiparasitic medications. Not with a vaccine, none of that. This early treatment can prevent post-COVID syndrome in between 404 and 800 subjects for every 1,000 patients infected. <laughs> That's 80%, that could be 80%, upwards of 
can prevent post-COVID syndrome in between 404 and 800 subjects for every 1,000 patients infected. That's pretty good numbers for a drug that we've had for 70 years. For every 1 million new COVID cases, at least 70,000 hospitalizations, 5,000 deaths, and 250,000 long-term persistence of system symptoms could be prevented with the use of any of these combinations in the first seven days of COVID. Out of a million people that get COVID, at least 70,000 hospitalizations could have been avoided. 5,000 deaths and 250,000 long-term persistence of symptoms could be prevented with use of any of these combinations in the first seven days of COVID. Why aren't we using this? I'll get into that in a minute. This week, an article came out stating ivermectin is only used for animals, but it's FDA approved for humans. So the propaganda war is back at us. They don't want us to think we can have this, although people have been treated with this. We just can't be treated with it anymore now that the magic vaccine is out. I digress. Ivermectin is effective treatment for COVID, but is out of patent. Hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, I'm not sure about this nidazoxanide. I would have to look it up, but these are out of patent. And what that means is nobody makes any money. Per pill, hydroxychloroquine's pretty cheap. Ivermectin, out of patent, pretty cheap. Ivermectin is made by Moderna. Moderna pushed so we couldn't have ivermectin because now our government is giving them billions more after the billions they already got to develop this mRNA vaccine. They're getting billions more for a new drug that's going to be just like ivermectin. We already have the cure. We had the cure. We've had the cure. Why are we doing all of this? Why are people dying? This is not right. This is purely political bullshit, and I'm over it. So the government's giving them billions more dollars to develop a treatment that we are, we already have. So I'm not sure why y'all are okay with this. I'm not okay. As of a couple of days ago, when I made my notes, 33.7 million cases in the U.S., and 606,000 deaths. I guess we're up to 610,000 now. How many of these lives could be saved with early treatment with hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, or the other guy, nidazoxanide? <laughs> I'm thinking a lot. Next week, I'm going to get into an interview that I saw with uh, Dr. Vladimir Zelenko. He had some very interesting things to say. And I will also give you the link to that next week when we mention it. But he had a lot of interesting things to say about the timeline of the hydroxychloroquine. He's the one that mentioned in his interview that hydroxychloroquine was effective. He found out by studying his 85 patients in upstate New York. He reported it to Trump, Mark Meadows. And then when Trump took it public, boom, we were cut off. 
He's the one that said it was under emergency use authorization. The reason they revoked the emergency use authorization for hydroxychloroquine is because if you have a cure, you have something that works. Something new cannot get an emergency use authorization. Keep in mind when I'm talking about all this, half of the funding for the Food and Drug Administration, our FDA, half of their funding comes from Big Pharma. Our real problem here with COVID-19 is the CDC, the FDA, the NIH, that other agency that fearmonger Fauci runs, NDADI, whatever it is. I'm so sick of saying all this shit. It's all political. No, big farm's not going to make any money. So, you know, let's let people die. We need to get Trump out of office. Let's let people die and not give them a cure. As of November 22nd, 2020, the U.S. death toll was 260,932 deaths under the death toll for 2019. The population decreased by 11,208,306 people. The death rate for 2019 to 2020 was 8%, down from 9% from 2017 to 2019. This is from a CDC census printed in the USAID today. So our death rate during COVID's actually gone down since pre-COVID. So you guys can make your own conclusions from that. So I mentioned this is political. February 14th of 2017, we're two and a half years prior to the pandemic. Dr. Fauci warned in a speech that Trump would most certainly face a surprise outbreak. Well, if you planned it, it's not really a surprise. Coronavirus was bought and paid for by the National Institutes of Health, Dr. Fauci's agency, and everybody else. Donald Trump was so bad to have elected as president, they had to think of everything they could possibly do to get him out of the office. Nothing was working. Impeachments weren't working. Assaults on his character weren't working. Nothing was working. So, oh, hey, let's unleash this virus that we've discovered at the Wuhan Institute that we paid for. It's time to bring it over. Come on over. We got to get Trump out of office at all costs. That's my thought. I think it happened. And I think other th people think it happened. And I think other people know it happened. So when does all this controversy hit? Why can't somebody just say the quiet part out loud? Well, I am. There it is. Coronavirus was brought here to kill people. Just to get Trump out of office. It's what I believe. And you're not going to change my mind. The mere fact that Fauci got up in 2017... Uh, February 14th of 2017, let's see, uh, January 20th was Trump's inauguration. They were already talking about impeaching him before he was elected, gets inaugurated. And within what's that three weeks, three, four weeks, Dr. Fauci gets up and warns that he will most certainly face a surprise outbreak because he had it. He paid for it. 
We can't have Trump as president. He might expose all the deep state secrets. We got to kill people, blame him, crash the economy, blame him, and get him out of office. Anyway, that's enough of that. On top of all this, the coronavirus vaccines are not truly vaccines. The reason they're not vaccines is because they do not prohibit infection or spread. You have noticed all the breakthrough, what they call it, breakthrough cases that fully vaccinated people are catching COVID and spreading COVID. I think that's the whole point. You just put the vaccines in, keeps it going, keeps it spreading. It's not a vaccine if it doesn't prohibit the infection or the spread. Oh, genetic modification could stay permanently. Now, mind you, this isn't messenger RNA vaccine. This goes into your cells. It modifies your cells. I have to do some more investigation, but I did read somewhere about it affecting chromosome number eight, the pair of chromosomes number eight that affect uh, reproduction and I think intelligence. So I'm going to do some more research on that and I'll get back to you. The emergency use authorization also lets the manufacturers and the FDA bypass the normal trial protocols. Now, mind you, these vaccines are untested. We are guinea pigs. We're putting this needle on our arm and we have become the test subjects. So what happens three years down the road? I did read an article that says three years down the road, 62% of people are going to get blood clots. So I guess we're going to see if that's happening. I'll look up, I'll look more up on that one too. Let's see. mRNA vaccines also contain polyethylene glycol, which a lot of Americans are allergic to. It causes blood clots. It has never been used in an approved vaccine. Never. The allergic reaction can cause anaphylaxis. Anaphylaxis itself is rare. It happens in one case per million. As of December 19th, with this vaccine, six cases of anaphylaxis has happened after out of 272,001 vaccine. So that's much worse numbers. Since the vaccines are not approved, side effect reporting is not mandated. So they don't have to affect, they don't have to report the side effects. So it's all honor system, but they're bashing the honor system for getting the vaccine, but they're using the honor system on us because they don't want to report the side effects. There is a site called VAERS, which reports side effects that you're certainly welcome to visit. But I was there the other day and it has the side effects reported, but obviously it's completely voluntary. Uh, okay. The hydroxychloroquine emergency use authorization was revoked in June of 2020, simply because you cannot issue another emergency use authorization. If you have something that works, like I mentioned before, the hydroxychloroquine worked. So we're just giving out emergency use authorizations because we want to give big pharma more money. The COVID survival rate is 99.8% globally. 
and it's 99.97% for under 70 with no additional comorbidities or people that are over 70 with comorbidities. That's also a hard word to say. So 99.97% survival rate if you're not in the risk group. That doesn't seem half bad. But get your vaccination. It's for the good of the country. It's entirely political. But I'm glad people are getting it. I'm glad we're getting to start to do things again. But we have another election cycle coming up. So now they're starting to take our freedoms away again, even though we are getting vaccinated. So what was really the point? I'll talk to you next week. You guys have a really good weekend. Appreciate you listening. Hope I didn't offend anybody or uh, make anybody angry, but you can definitely give your feedback if you'd like. I enjoy doing this and I enjoy putting some stuff out and I'd really like to talk to you about it and I'll talk to you about it next week. Have a good evening.